And the reality is the currency of B2B now is engagement and getting buyers to engage with you. So why would I put up any roadblocks and having them engage with me? Hey there, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. It's rare, but oh so refreshing when you know someone who says what they mean and means what they say. Or a client that doesn't keep you guessing, right? You always know where you stand. Well, our guest today is both that type of friend and client, and I am amped to welcome Latney Conant, CMO at Sixth Sense. So Latney is a two-time client at Blast Media, which we love. We first met Latney when she was CMO at Aperio and brought us on to be the PR agency of record. We went through the company's acquisition to Wipro together, which was a wild, crazy, intense ride. And then she brought us along to Sixth Sense when she joined as CMO a little over a year ago. I'm fascinated by her background, and you guys will be too. She overcame a significant obstacle as a child, and there's more to come on that in the episode. But she has a really interesting mix of experience in finance, sales, and marketing, which perfectly positions her for the current role of CMO at Sixth Sense, where she's leading the marketing charge at one of the nation's fastest-growing ABM companies. So let's get this party started and grab a drink with Latney as we discuss the buzzworthy world of ABM. Laddie, it is early in the morning and I I am drinking and I am now finding that I'm drinking alone because we sent you an El Pepino Margarita cocktail kit that you thought was so adorable and loved it so much that you already drank it. So I, I'm it's okay. I have no shame in drinking alone, but I'm doing it. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was just too awesome. I mean, you guys definitely... Uh nailed me and my preferences because I'm all about the tequila lime combo. And um, I loved the the cucumber accent. I mean, the whole thing was just so well done. So yeah, we, we broke into that pretty much as soon as it got here. Fantastic. <laughs> well, glad to hear it. Uh, well, what's interesting to me about you, Latney, is that you work at one of the world's fastest growing account-based platform companies, but you're all over the place challenging ABM's meaning, calling bullshit on all the shiny ABM solutions popping up in the market. So what gives? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And I mean, the reality is I actually do believe in an account-based strategy and approach. I just don't see it as its own separate thing. And I think a lot of people you know, rightfully so, is relatively new. And most of the legacy tools are set up for like a, a lead-based approach, uh, which really focuses on a contact, um, just because that was the core of their design. Uh, but the reality is the way buyers buy today in B2B, and that's what makes B2B different than B2C, is they buy in these teams. And so unless you can really understand that buying team dynamic, um, if you do have a true B2B motion, you're going to have trouble across all of your kind of go-to-market strategies. And so my kind of calling BS is, hey, this isn't a shiny object. This isn't something that you pilot. This is a new, really a new approach to successful go-to-market. And it's a combination of people, process, 
technology uh, that really have to adopt and change. I have read a few recent articles and podcasts that you've been on, and you offer really great insight and actionable insight. So I definitely want to dive into that. So when you and I got a chance to meet at your time at Aperio, uh, which luckily the stars all came together and, and we all met. And so you went from Aperio to Sixth Sense. And what surprised you the most about joining a startup coming from a larger organization like Aperio? Oh my God, how long do we have? <laughs> as long as you want, girl. You know, I came I came into marketing at Aperio and we already had an established organization, you know, some 20 some people across the world, which then ended up growing leaps and bounds, uh, different verticals, um, different geos. We launched a bunch of new markets, which was super exciting. But the point is I had a relatively big organization that I stepped into, and it was a lot about fine tuning the engine and less about building the engine from scratch. And so what was really fun about the last 15 months at Sixth Sense was literally, you know, I was the second marketing hire and we have built the thing from scratch. So that, that's been, it, it's just a totally different uh, mindset. I found the game that we are in changes so frequently that even if you feel like you have years of experience, that experience is probably old. And so you have to always be studying the game. And what's been amazing about the last 15 months is I just have been all in as a student of the B2B marketing game and learning everything all over again. So I, I really tried to not bring uh, baggage or expectations and get out and talk to customers and you know connect with these communities of what I think are the best in the world at this function and try to adopt as much of it as we could. Well, your background experience certainly lends itself to what you're doing today with the finance and being on the sales side and on the marketing side. And that, that essentially is what Sixth Sense is connecting. For the listeners who maybe have been living under a rock and don't know what Sixth Sense does, can you give us the elevator pitch on what is Sixth Sense? So we are an account-based orchestration platform. And what we do is we help you uncover anonymous buying behavior. So if you think about it, the way B2B buyers buy, they're not filling out forms, they're doing all of their research anonymously. And we as marketing and sellers need to, we need to uncover that. Um, we need to understand those, those dynamics. So that's kind of the first big part of what we do. Uh, the second big part of what we do is we help you understand a buying team. So again, if you think about traditional marketing, it's been lead-based or based on a contact and selling has always been account-based. And so there's this huge gap that has to be bridged. And so we use AI and predictive analytics to be able to help you put together all of the signal and really understand the dynamics of the entire buying team, uh, which is absolutely critical. And once you've uncovered all that signal, you understand the buying team, you understand what they care about, you need to go and actually do something with it. So we talk a lot about knowing and doing. And so the last step that we allow marketers and sellers to do in our platform is to trigger all kinds of highly personalized engagement. Um, but ultimately what we do is, is we help sales and marketing teams like predictably generate pipeline. 
It's interesting for me because I've also come from a sales background as well. And when I first started hearing about account-based marketing or account-based selling, to me, it's it's just good selling and what you've always done as a good seller, a good marketer. Do you agree with that? I do and I don't. I mean, I a lot of my talks are ABM is just good marketing. So I do. However, I think the challenge is sales has always been account-based, but sales gets a static list of accounts. And those accounts might be in market and might, you know, they could hit the jackpot and have the best territory ever, or they could hit a, a territory that hasn't, that, you know, hasn't panned out in years. And so what we have to be able to do for sales is apply AI. And I talked about uncovering that dark funnel and I talked about, you know, being able to prioritize and score that signal. We have to be able to make sure that every seller has a great territory and an influx of accounts that are actually in market and going to buy. And it's our job as marketers to make sure that those accounts are, are warmed up um, and that we're aligned on what those accounts are. It's always shocking to me because I do a lot of speaking. I'll ask people, do you know your ideal customer profile? Or I say ICP. A lot of people don't even know what that term means, much less have one, much less have one that's dynamic and based on AI. And I really think that's the secret sauce of alignment between sales and marketing, because it really ensures that at any given time, every seller and every marketer is working on the best accounts uh, for them to sell to. It's the economics of winning. And for those listening who are like, oh shit, that's me. I actually don't know our ICP. What do you suggest that they do as a first step to identify that? Yeah. I mean, the, the first step is just to like, think about your different set, like depending on how big or small or complex you are, you might have different segments. So you might have like a velocity segment or a commercial segment, and then you might have an enterprise segment. You could have different verticals. So really think about those different groups and then start to understand the dynamics of what make them a good customer for you. So that that's sort of the, I would say, old school way. And there's actually a good Topo article on how to workshop your way to an ICP. And, and I think it says like no more than five major criteria and then seven kind of sub criteria to define, you know, that group of accounts and and that's one way to do it. I mean, I I cheat because you know, if you've ever tried to workshop your way to anything with a bunch of, you know, opinionated people like myself and and sellers, it's it's difficult. And so, you know, I of course like the approach which is let's apply AI. Um it's smarter than all of us. Tell us which accounts are best and what those criteria look at by going back in time. And then I think the third element to that is a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, well, we know our, we have a target list. It's the fortune 500. And again, the different, the, the problem with that to me is it's a static list and, and you don't want to name the accounts for your ICP. You want to name the criteria that make them good accounts, if that makes sense. And then be able to always be looking out into the universe of, of accounts and finding those that meet the criteria. That's perfect state. You've said that today, buyers want to do their research anonymously. You mentioned that the, the industry is constantly changing and how people buy. 
And it sounds counterintuitive as a marketer, but you have said that modern marketing organizations need to enable the anonymity and not try to subvert it. Can you talk more about that statement? Yeah. So like, it's funny because I was in a workshop recently and and it was, you know, very typical inbound workshop and people were really proud of the ebook that they created and how many people filled out a form to like get the ebook. And it's just kind of a joke, honestly, like everyone creates content, everyone creates ebooks. I mean, I think my ebook's really good. I think it's better than the next guy's, but who knows, right? And the reality is the currency of B2B now is engagement and getting buyers to engage with you. So why would I put up any roadblocks and having them engage with me? Because if my ebook has a million different hurdles to get, they're going to go to somebody else's and they're going to learn from them. And I think I've lost. I've lost that in a big way. So again, because you know I, I have a leg up and Sixth Sense has a great identity layer that allows me to actually know what those accounts are doing and what they're engaging, I am confident in wanting to put as much as my material out to the world so that they want to engage with me and learn from me. And then when the time is right, I'll know the time is right because I'll be able to see that with my AI and big data and, you know, we'll connect. So is your advice then to not, it sounds like you're saying to not gate owned content. I think it's crazy. The other problem with doing it, it, with gating the content is you, you get false positives, right? People that, you know, are an intern and they just, yeah, they, and they're willing to get the content or they're just, they really are way early in their cycle and they're not ready. But because they downloaded your ebook, now they're a lead. To me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, just yesterday, I downloaded another PR agency's ebook. I'm not a lead, but I want to know what they're talking about. So it's from a, competitive, from a competitive standpoint. I mean, I do that all the time. We have listeners that are going to be at, from SaaS companies at all different stages, right? From startups to, to powerhouses. When should a company invest in ABM? If we're talking on the you know, startup to scale up, when is the right time? And sort of second part to that question is who should own it? The time is now, always. Because you want to take an account-based lens to be able to prioritize your precious resources, um, no matter what your size is. None of us have infinite budget. And so the time is now. And it, it's, it's interesting because we are starting to see a, kind of a new dynamic at Sixth Sense, which is more and more sales teams are owning and driving it because they see the alignment that it creates and quite frankly the benefit ultimately in in pipeline and velocity and deals. So that's been interesting because it's called ABM account-based marketing, but really it's ABMS or, you know, just account-based go to market. And so, you know, we see about half the time it being being driven by a marketing or demand gen leader and about half the time it's driven by sales. I do notice that Six Sense drops the M, right? It's account-based orchestration. So you're not pigeonholing it into sales or marketing. It's really about the across-channel teams owning that strategy. 
That is really important. If it's just a marketing pilot, it's going nowhere. It, it has to have that sales component. And we also, I mean, just in our our platform and our strategy and where we invest, I mean, we invest as equally in the sales user and their experience. And we measure ourselves, you know, based on sales logins and usage pretty aggressively because we think it's such an important part of the equation. When it comes to sales versus marketing, the last time you and I met in person, it was at a um, Empowered CMO retreat. And we talked a lot about sort of the challenges that today's CMO face. Should they own strategy? Do they own growth? Is there you know, a chief strategy officer that's going to overtake the CMO? And I am curious your, your perspective in terms of what do you think the, sort of the future of the CMO role holds? Do you envision that that role grows in, in sort of strength and authority? Or do you envision that role maybe being replaced by a chief growth officer or chief strategy officer? I mean, I'm all in on the vision for that we talked about at the retreat for CMOs to go from the ing, so chief marketing, to chief market. I think we have to together make that transition. And what's interesting, um, and we haven't actually put this research out, but we did a survey and we augmented that with a bunch of interviews and we, ha- we found some pretty interesting things. The, the most interesting was when the group mapped their time. We are spending way too much time with our team and on the ing and not enough time doing the things that we think are most important to being that chief market officer which is being out with customers, like aligning with our executive peers, uh, driving kind of new projects. And so it was kind of a a splash of cold water for me, uh, because as you know, I'm very hands-on myself. And I think I've like somewhat prided myself on being hands-on and being involved. But my goal for 2020 is to really embrace that chief market officer title and that's a new way to think about it. That's a new way to prioritize your time. You know, I'm going to prioritize my time talking to customers, taking first calls, working with analysts so that I can be the seat at the table that represents the market. Uh, and that's, and it's also interesting in how you prep for like a board meeting. You know, there's a few ing stats that they care about. Did you generate enough pipeline or not? And are you within range of the, you know, your magic number or your CAC? As long as I can check that box, I don't need to tell them anything else. I need to be talking about where this market is going, how we see ourselves, how we're going to grab share, how we're going to be the category king. And so it's bolstered a pretty big shift in how I think about prioritizing my time and what I need to do. And you'd mentioned all the different point solutions that exist, not only with ABM, but really that anywhere within the, the marketing tech stack or the sales tech stack. You personally, as a CMO, if you were given an extra $1 million to spend in marketing next quarter, where would you spend it? Ooh, (laughs) where would I spend it? So I am really bullish on reimagining what I call the prospect or the quote unquote future customer experience. So I came from a Perio. I lived and breathed everything customer experience. That's the lens that I apply to this crazy MarTech world. 
And what I realized is we don't put ourselves in the prospect shoes very often, you know, hence the form bills and all this, this other stuff. And so I'm really pushing and what we've been doing internally at Sixth Sense is saying, how do we have the absolute best prospect experience? And, you know, we're using our technology as well as others, as well as new processes, because we feel like if, you know, if we have prospects literally writing our CEO, which happened twice last quarter, saying how much they enjoyed being sold to, how much they enjoyed and respected the process and how great it was, we're going to win, hands down. Um, So that's like what's trumping all of my investment priorities right now. That's incredible. Uh, Since I have you, is there anything that you've always wanted to say or get off your chest? No one ever asks you about or the opportunity never presented to yourself. This is the forum to say it. I would say I was given and I I wrote my team a note about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was given a really big gift growing up in that I was dyslexic, but my parents always told me um, and always that I was smart and they always had really high expectations of me. So it wasn't like, oh, you're dyslexic, so you're not going to do that well in school. Um, They always just expected straight A's. And if I wasn't getting an A, it was like, well, what do we need to do? Let's hire a tutor. Let's do this. Let's do that. But the expectation was always really, really high. And I think that was the biggest gift that I was given. And I try to give that like to my kids. I try to give that to my colleagues. And I know sometimes, you know, I'm a lot to handle, but I explain to people that I'm just trying to give them a gift that I was given. Well, and that's incredible. And that's a huge testament to your parents because they easily could have used that as a crutch, right? As a way to shield you from any adversity, right? Use that as an excuse as to why you're not excelling or exceeding. And instead they turn that into a positive where yes, it might bring some adversity, but we're going to face it head on and we're going to get through it and we're going to problem solve. Right. And like to have that family unit who understands that and pushed you forward, I think absolutely has created the person that you are. So I would like to do a toast to your parents. Do you have a, Me too. Yeah, do you have a signature or favorite toast to send us out? I know you're expecting something short, but my signature toast, and we do this on birthdays. So I'm known for throwing birthday parties, birthday dinner parties. And the toast is always for the birthday person and everyone goes around and says what they appreciate about that person. And so my toast will be to you and how much I appreciate you. It's been so fun to get to know you. I love your personality. I love this podcast, Sass Half Full. I I think the little kits that you sent were absolutely adorable. So fun. So cool. And I really appreciate what you and your firm do. I mean, you've, I've said this over and over again, you guys have been a game changer for me in my career twice now. Thanks for working hard for me and putting up with my really high expectations. <laughs> well, back at you, sister, and hot damn. Blatney, I will drink to that. 
thanks again to Latney for joining us on the show. Since she has already enjoyed her El Papito margarita and didn't follow the rules, we're going to be giving away what I was enjoying today, which is a spiced rum drink called the Roomba. We're giving away a limited number of Roomba cocktail kits to our listeners, which we will have delivered straight to your door. That's right, folks. Booze waiting on your doorstep when you get home after a long day. That's what we do here at Sass Half Full. To get your Roomba kit, go to cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and use promo code CMO2020 to claim a free cocktail kit. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>